developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. So my guest on this week's show may not be among the most famous stars to ever come out of SNL. But during his eight seasons on the show, he was right there in the mix for some of its most iconic moments. Well, that brings us to the close of tonight's debate. Each candidate will now give a brief closing statement. Jim, could I make two closing statements? (laughs) I'm afraid not. In fact, we are almost out of time, so I will instead ask each candidate to sum up in a single word the best argument for his candidacy. Governor Bush? Strategery. Vice President Gore. Lockbox. This concludes the first debate. Thank you. And live from New York, it's Saturday night! This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Chris Parnell moderating the first debate between Will Ferrell's George W. Bush and Daryl Hammond's Al Gore on Saturday Night Live in the year 2000. It was after that season, his third on the show, that Chris was fired by Lorne Michaels and then hired back the next year, something that, as far as I know, hasn't happened with any other cast members in SNL's nearly 50-year history. Lorne must have realized that Chris provided a certain everyman glue to the show that it just couldn't live without, earning him the nickname Iceman for his ability to stay cool under pressure and never break, no matter what Will Ferrell was doing next to him. In the years since he was let go from SNL for the second time in 2006, he has continued to be one of the most reliable comedic voices on TV, in roles like Dr. Spachemin in Tina Fey's 30 Rock, and his impressive work in animated hits like Archer and Rick and Morty. Now, Chris has taken on perhaps his most fully formed character to date in the Netflix movie Senior Year. He plays the father of Rebel Wilson's character who wakes up from a coma 20 years after what was supposed to be her last year of high school. Anyway, if you have been watching comedy at all over the past 25 years, you are well aware of Chris Parnell, and I hope you will know and appreciate him even more after this conversation. Here's me with Chris Parnell. I love talking to uh, people, comedians who work in animation, because you have such fancy uh, recording setups at home. Uh, (laughs) Kristen Schaal had something very similar. Oh, did she? Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I just got to see Senior Year uh, last night. I watched on Netflix and thought it was really, really funny and and just really enjoyed uh, seeing it and seeing you in it. So uh, congrats on that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty fun movie. You know, it was a a blast to do it. It was one of the uh, genuinely one of the most fun and sort of satisfying uh, movie making experiences I've had. Not that I've had that many, but yeah. yeah. What, What made it so satisfying? Well, just I mean, it was the partly the nature of the role itself. I got to do, you know, uh, some things I don't normally get to do, you know, like do the more dramatic stuff and then still get to hopefully be funny. And and then the cast was just 
so sweet and lovely and funny and and then and Alex, the director, um, and Rebel really set the tone of it, you know, which was just which was just warm and you know, it was like a love fest and Yeah, Rebel Wilson is so funny always in everything that she does. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, you play her dad in the movie. Um what's it like to to act opposite her? Just because I feel like she has a very unique energy and and approach to to comedy and and even just approach to line readings that i think she's able to make things funny that not everyone else could i agree completely when it comes to the dramatic stuff it's really easy because she's really good and you know doing the scene with her at the uh, breakfast table there um you know i mean she her her reactions to me and what she was doing i mean just made it so much easier and better. I mean, you always want that from another actor, but she was exceptionally good at it. And then in terms of the, the comedy, comedic moments, she, you know, sometimes you don't know what she's going to do, but you can always trust her because she's, her instincts are so, so good, you know, comedically. And, um, and you just, you just roll with it, you know? So. Yeah. Is there an example of a scene or any moment that kind of surprised you what she, what she was doing, uh, on set? Yeah. The scene when I have to take her phone away yeah. in the living room there. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. She was, I mean, she was doing all this stuff and I just, I, I thought to myself, I was like, Oh, this, this might be over the top. This might be a bit much. <laughs> but then when I saw it, I was like, Oh no, this is, this is hilarious. She knew exactly what she was doing and it's perfect and it worked. Martha tells me you're already falling behind in your classes. Are you doing crack cocaine? No. Dad, I'm just still adjusting. I just found out there are eight more Fast and Furious movies. I just want to make sure that you're giving your schoolwork the attention it deserves. Okay, well, I've got the solution for this. No phone for the weekend. What? Mm-hmm. Dad, no. How else will I live? You survived 20 years without solid food. You can go for a weekend without your iPhone, hon. No! End it over. What, are you being serious? Yes, I am being are you very... being full serious right now? Full serious. Are you from Syria? I'm very serious. No! No! Hand me the phone. Here, have it then, have it. It's a remote. No! Um, get off the door frame, honey. No! And as you said, the rest of the cast is great as well. You have some some of my favorites in there. Uh, two people who have been on this podcast before, uh, Mary Holland and Sam Richardson, who I feel like are just two of the funniest. You know, they're not they're they're still up and coming, um, but they're pretty established now um, at this point. Um, but sort of a generation below you. So um, yeah, I mean, what's it what's it like for you to kind of get to play with them and and see you know what what they're doing? Um, it's great. I mean, I had I had worked. Well, I hadn't actually worked with Mary, but I knew Mary from um, a sitcom that I had done that she had just a tiny guest part on, but just killed it, you know, of course. Um, and uh, so Sam was the one I had, you know, sort of the comedic moment with when he comes to pick up Stephanie for the date. Um, yeah, so that was that was great. You know, just anytime you're with another comedic actor who knows what they're doing and, you know, has good sort of improvisational skills you know you can just kind of trust each other and um same with mary like in the car scene and you know whatever we did it's just you know they know what they're doing so it's just it's fun yeah. i feel like a lot of the comedy in the movie comes from how much the culture has changed in the past 20 years since 2002 which is you know where the movie starts um do you do you feel that in the you know 
in the comedy world or in you know Hollywood or in the worlds that you're in um, that that change over the over the twenty years? And how do you think about that? You know, I don't know. It's it's it happens for me anyway so slowly that I don't, I don't know that I've kind of noticed it. It's like yeah, you weren't in a coma for twenty years, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think I guess one difference now. And it probably is more of a thing for stand-ups than it is for, you know, comedian actors who are doing shows, um, TV or film or whatever. It's, you know, it's just a political correctness. Um, there's there's stuff that um, you just have to really avoid um, if you don't want to get hated on, you know, or canceled or whatever. And, and, and you know, much of it rightly so. But, uh, yeah, I think for most of what, you know, the vast majority of what I do, it's just... You know, it's where, where there's a, there's a greater awareness, you know, it's greater awareness of inclusivity and all that. And so that's just, that, you know, that's just better. Yeah. You don't think about things that you, uh, you know, maybe did 20 years ago that you wouldn't do now, or does that not really come up? Well, you know, I, I, I did this sketch on SNL called Merv the Perv, which I guess that was about probably 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, Merv was always the, the loser in it ultimately, but yeah, I don't know if they... I don't know if they would do Merv the Perv these days. You know, he was harassing women and uh, in really gross ways and uh, probably probably couldn't get away with that now as much. <laughs> um, well, I want to get to SNL, but um, I would love to just start uh, all the way back, you know, at the beginning of your when you started doing comedy. Um, I know you kind of got your start in the Groundlings. Um, who was there with you when you started? What was it like when you when you got there, and and why was that something you you know wanted to do in the first place? Well, um, when I moved to L.A. right at the beginning of '92, um, I met some folks who were friends of friends, and um, they were like, "You you should take classes, the Groundlings. You should do the Groundlings." I, you know, I'd gone to drama school, and I'd run. I worked at a theater in Houston for a season. Then I'd gone back and taught high school for a year. And then I made my way out to LA and, um, you know, I was pretty green. I thought I knew a lot more than I did, but they, they said, you know, take, take classes at the groundlings. You should, you should do that. And so, you know, thankfully I followed their advice and, um, started that in February of 1992 and, you know, made so many great friendships and, um, you know, it was just, it was my social life, you know, became my social life. And, uh, where I met so many people. And I remember going to see the shows. Um, I think it was a Sunday show at the time. And Mike McDonald was in the Sunday show. And I just worshipped him. I just thought he was so funny. I mean, there were so many funny people in the show. But Mike always stood out to me. Um, and then I was, as I was coming up, um, Anna and I overlapped some. Yeah, uh, Anna Gasteyer. Yeah. yeah. And then Catan and Sherry O'Terry and Will Ferrell were just beyond me. Um, but I, you know, we knew each other. Um, again, yeah, and then Maya was a little behind me in Will Forte. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you're in this place where people are going from straight from there to SNL. I mean, you're seeing it happen. I'm sure, you know, you know, some people then who are doing that. So is that on your mind a lot as the goal? Is that what you're looking to do? Well, you know what? It didn't, um, it, it wasn't that obvious until Will and, and Sherry and Chris got on. Because it had been a long time. I don't know if Phil Hartman had been the last one, or but it, it had been a long stretch since a groundling had gotten onto Saturday Night Live. Yeah, they kind of they kind of moved away from that, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't you know I don't know what what happened if they stopped sending talent scouts to the groundlings, but but when they got on, um, 
I remember we were doing a show and when between scenes, we would run back to the back office and watch the TV because it was their premiere SNL when they were on. And, and that was obviously very exciting and, uh, and fun to see. And so from then on, it sort of was like, oh, this, this is, this can get us there. Um, and I think it really, from there, the, the enrollment and all that kind of stuff with the classes really ramped up. Hmm. Yeah. Now everyone saw it as a, as a path uh, to become the next Will Ferrell. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so you did at some point get an SNL audition. Um, what was the, what was the story uh, behind your audition? Um, well, before I got the audition, I, I found out that SNL had sent talent scouts to the groundlings. I don't know if I was in the Sunday show or the main show at the time, but my agent had sent some tape in and just nothing came of it. And I think that's actually when Anna got hired. So I thought, oh, that was my SNL shot. Oh, well, hopefully I'll be able to keep doing sitcoms and stuff. And then I just, um, I was working as an assistant to our, uh, to our screenwriter, um, who was also directing our Sunday show, Deanna Oliver. Um, and I was, I was working at her house and I got the call from my agent that they wanted to fly me out and audition me. Um, that they had come to see the show again, which I was blissfully um, unaware of. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, gosh, okay. And then, you know, so they, they sort of gave what they wanted, which was three characters, three impressions. And I had the advantage of knowing uh, Sherry and Anna and was able to get on the phone. And they said, you know, I didn't do that. I did four characters. And I did two impressions, which is fine. So I was like, oh, great. I'll they, do that. They let you know there's a little bit of flexibility compared to what they tell you. Yeah, because I wasn't, I've never, I've never, I was never Mr. Impressions, you know, but I had all these characters that I'd done in monologues at the Groundlings that I could just, you know, take pieces of those and put those into my audition, which was, which was fantastic. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. What were those, uh, some of those characters or impressions that you did in that first audition? Well, the impressions I did were Tom Brokaw because I some somewhere along the line realized I you know had a similar timber to my voice, and then I did this. He was an MTV VJ at the time, a guy named Jesse, um, and Jimmy Fallon actually ended up doing that impression on the show no. for real <laughs> later um, because my impression wasn't. I mean, I don't know if it was it wasn't great probably, but uh, then the characters were I had a I had a preacher who was sort of, I don't know, clearly a little messed up and um, had impure thoughts, let us say, and uh, that was coming out in his sermon. Um, I did a dance number to the theme song from Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> and what else? Uh, oh, I did a lounge singer who sang, you know, sang, sang some James Bond theme songs and uh, uh, one other person. I don't know. I can't remember who the other with the other thing oh the other one was a, a theater student um who was auditioning for a theater company or school and he was he had taken a piece from uh babar the elephant um and he had made it into a, a, a theatrical piece so he, he just made it up where he was zafir the monkey and uh he was confronting babar about some some issues and things so. how did you find out that you'd been hired because i've talked to a lot of uh comedians who either didn't know when they had been hired or when they had been fired well I, you know i knew i knew both um <laughs> I, I was on i think i was on ventura in studio city and i um got a text at the time from oh, my wow. agent. That's and, pretty uh, uh, advanced at that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I pulled over or I parked and, uh, and I got on a payphone 
and and called the office and they said they uh you you know you got the job you know you're, you're gonna start it this time <laughs> so i went up I, I took the escalator up and had a had a pizza at california pizza kitchen oh fantastic celebratory dinner yeah. <laughs> and then what do you remember about actually you know arriving there and then your first week at the show and, and that first episode <sighs> i you know i i don't remember too much about that first week i remember at some point i don't know if it was during the first week but somewhere around there Happening, happening to be walking down the street with Jimmy and Horatio, who are also new, um, and just having a conversation. Um, and then I remember the show more. Um, I well, I did a commercial parody, and that was the that was the one thing that I knew I was going to probably have in the show. Um, and then which one did, was that? Do you remember? I think. Well, actually, it might have been. We did one called "Oops, I Crap My Pants." That was the first thing I shot for the show. That's a classic. <laughs> and then um and then I did another one that I think was a was a spoof on the gap ads where I think I was Kenneth Starr um jumping around in in some gap <laughs> jeans or something. Um and I may be mixing some things up. That that happened and then I also played Kenneth Starr in what was an Oprah 2000 sketch. It was the cold open of the show. Um yeah, and you know nobody knew who I was, uh, and and here I was in all this makeup and stuff doing Kenneth Star, who's like, what does Kenneth Star sound like or look like or anything? <laughs> yeah, you, you were know? lucky that I guess. Well, maybe people knew then, but now uh, people wouldn't necessarily be able to peg a Kenneth Star impression. Yeah, no, I mean, I even you know I had to really look at it, and I you know whatever, but it was fun. Cameron Diaz was the host. Smashing Pumpkins was a musical guest, and. Uh, I remember being at the after party uh, with my good friends Nicholas and Stacy, and Cameron came over and said hi, which was very cool. Made me look very cool <laughs> yeah, in front of my friends. Totally. You know, yeah. So I know uh, some people might know this, but you got kind of a, a reputation at the show and a, a nickname that's made the rounds called the Iceman, which is uh, has something to do with the fact that you never broke. Uh, never cracked up, and I think the the cow the infamous uh, cowbell sketch is the prime example because if you watch that sketch, I think everyone but you is is laughing by the end. And everyone but Walken and Christopher. Oh Walken yeah, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't break either. You you and him have a lot in common that way. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's uh, the, the the nickname actually um, came from that first cold open sketch that I just referred to. And I think it was T. Sean Shannon. Uh, no, no, it was Colin. Colin Quinn, maybe. Um, who he was. He was very impressed that I was so relaxed and not showing nerves, being in my first show in the cold open with a lot of a lot of folks. It was like John Goodman and a lot of the main cast and yeah, guest stars and yeah. And so he was. He was like, "Wow, I got his." Like now were man. you now were you actually relaxed, or are you just good at projecting relaxation? You know, there were definitely nerves, but I had had a good sort of combination of experiences up to that point from from doing theater school and doing the groundlings and then also having done a, a, a decent amount of like guest star stuff on, on sitcoms, you know. So the combination of those two made me feel like, you know, like I, I, can, I can do this, you know, I mean, I mean, I was definitely definitely had nerves for sure. Yeah. Um, what was what do you remember about the that moment of actually filming the the cowbell sketch because you are you know keeping it together in a way that no one else was were you was that difficult or was that uh just uh it comes naturally to you it 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 was difficult i mean you know i i just try to be there as that character you know um and that character wouldn't find any of those things funny so as much as i can hold on to that <laughs> you know that that didn't that, didn't work for anyone else in the sketch but i'm glad it worked <laughs> for you 
Well, you know, I was able to focus straight ahead mostly. Um, the hardest part, of course, was when Will was had his belly over next to me and was whacking <laughs> the cowbell in my face. And I honestly did, when the camera was off me for a moment, I did look down and kind of and kind of smile. Um, but but the camera was off me happily. Yeah, so. that's very impressive. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it was hard. And Bobby, you are right. I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. And I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Thank you, Bruce. I think if, I think if, I, if I just leave and I'll, maybe I'll come back later, we can lay down the cowbell. Come on, baby. Gene, wait. <laughs> Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now with us together? Another, I think, you know, pretty early on in your time there was the uh, the 2000 election and everything that went on with that um, and the very famous debate sketch with Will Ferrell as Bush and Daryl Hammond as Gore that you moderated. Um, and I think that's when the, you know, lockbox and strategery and all that. So, uh, and I, I was looking at that sketch, which is an astonishing 10 minutes long, which I, I, I can't, I have, I'm not sure there's been anything else that long on the show. Um, but what do you remember about that one? Um, I, I guess what, I mean, it's just like such a pedestrian thing, but like, just like looking at the, trying to find the cue cards, making sure when I read the cue cards, it, it wasn't obvious, you know, or just it was they had the cue cards like back behind where the central camera was buried in the set, sort of. Um, and so I was just trying to navigate that without ever looking like I was reading the cards. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously they gave Daryl and, and Will gave masterful performances. And I was there in my tons of prosthetics. <laughs> yeah, and you Jim get Lehrer barely recognizable. I, yeah. I looked at it and I knew you played Jim Lehrer, but I was watching it and I was like, is that you? I guess it's almost I hard to tell. I know. I was very buried under there. Coming up, Chris explains how he became the only SNL cast member to ever get fired twice and shares what Lorne Michaels told him when he returned. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued, what was in Al Capone's vault, or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. 
By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my conversations with other former SNL cast members like Bill Hader, Colin Quinn, Anna Gasteyer, Rachel Dratch, and many others, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let us know how much you love this show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Chris Parnell. So, you know, you you made reference to uh, that you also knew when you were fired. You have the very distinct uh, experience of being the only cast member to be fired twice from SNL. I believe the only, um, which everyone might not know. Uh, so what what is the story there? You you were on for how many seasons before they, they let you go and then they ultimately brought you back? Yeah, I was on for three seasons and, and you know, just starting to really feel more confident. Yeah, um, <laughs> just just starting to get your footing and then... <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and there would always be this thing that would happen every summer um, where you they, we were supposed to be notified by July 1st, I think, whether our contracts were getting picked up for the next season. But that never happened and it was always like, Hey, Lauren needs more time. You know, he's been traveling, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, of course, what are you going to say? Like, no, I need to know right now. Um, so you just, you're like, okay, okay. And then you're, you're kind of in contact with the other cast members who are waiting to find out. I was remember being in touch with Rachel Dratch. And, you know, we kind of just all thought, eh, well, I think we'll all probably get on again, you know. Um, and then I got the call from uh, Jimmy Miller, who was my manager at the time, and said, buddy, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, but they're not, they're not bringing you back. And, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. You know, I, you come to realize how much of your identity at that point is wrapped up in being a Saturday night live cast member. Um, and then almost, you know, very shortly thereafter, I started to hear from people who worked on the show, Will or Tim Meadows or some other folks that the door wasn't completely shut, that, that I might be going back. So it was this roller coaster for a while. I'd hear from Jimmy, um, that, uh, yeah, Lauren's, you know, Lauren, I don't know. The door still seems to be open. He might be bringing you back. And I moved back to LA, left my stuff in New York. And then I, I just got tired of that roller coaster. I said, look, if he wants to bring me back, I'd love to go back, but I, I don't want to hear any more of this. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. So it's, it sounds my, torturous. Yeah. I moved all this, to, all my stuff back to LA and then, uh, and then got, then got rehired <laughs> 12 episodes. I think it was my 13th, the 13th episode of season would be my fourth season. Yeah, um, so you missed about half the season or something like that. I missed twelve episodes out of a twenty episode season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what, did it feel different when you came back? I mean, does it was that a vote of confidence, or now you were even more on edge because you'd already been fired? Well, you know, one of the things that made it easier to wrap my head around it was there was such an outpouring of support from the cast and writers that were just like you know, dude, I can't believe this doesn't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. And somebody, Tishon Shannon, who I referred to earlier, one of the writers on the show, wrote a sketch, a very scathing sketch um, taking place in a Benihana where he basically just took Lorne and the producers and everybody to task for firing me, veiled in this, yeah, veiled in this Benihana sketch. Did that air? No, God, no. (laughs) It was was just for the, it was (laughs) just just for for the, just for the table read, just to uh, send a message. But Lorne heard it at the table read. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lauren had to read the stage directions. Yeah. You know, I mean, what was his reaction to that? I have no idea. I, I don't. I don't know. I think it was probably fairly quiet at the table. But you know, it was just there was. I remember there being a line like, um, "Why did you fire 
the chef. Why did you fire Chris? I mean, he was great. He cooked everything great. He did this great. You know, <laughs> and, you're, great. and you're playing Chris in the sketch? No, I wasn't in it. I was. Oh, in, this okay. is while I was. This off is. The oh, show. this is while you weren't even there. Oh, so you don't even know what the what the what it was like in the room. You weren't there. No, no. But um, and then and I think uh, Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan went to bat for me too. And I I think that all of that sure I'm sure helped yeah. a lot. Well, yeah, that must have felt good. At least that that everyone all those guys had your back yeah and it felt like i wasn't everybody seemed surprised by it so i didn't feel like i was an idiot to be surprised by it you know and um, did, but, did lauren have anything to say to you about it when you came back he did you know he, he had me in the office and uh and said you know i made a mistake and uh i didn't know which was amazing and uh yeah and that first show back i i got to do a uh i guess it was burt convy maybe in a sort of can't remember what the the takeoff was. Maybe it was a, I don't know if it was a match game type of thing, but it was lo- pretty much the whole cast, which were the most fun kind of sketches to do. And and Rip Taylor, I think, was was made a guest appearance as himself in it. Yeah. So I this just is on my mind because I just had Akiva Schaefer on the podcast, um, and we were talking, you know, all about all of the um, Lonely Island and digital shorts and all that. Um, so we were talking about Lazy Sunday, which is something you did in that you know uh, those seasons when you came back. Um, and you kind of became the, one of their, you know, go-to guys in a lot of their stuff. Um, but how did you, how did it end up being you and, and Andy Samberg in Lazy Sunday? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, um, they had seen me do my weekend update raps and, um, and you know, they said they, they really enjoyed those and wanted to see if I would do a rap thing with Andy. And so, um, like, of course, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, the, the, th- four of us um wrote it and then recorded it i think yorma came up with the the music track the backing track and we recorded it there in their office and then went out and shot it one day and yeah and then and then they edited it so well together and put the effects and you know the graphics and things in and you know it we felt good about it we thought it was we thought it was fun and we had a feeling people would like it but you know you never know that something's going to be yeah, well, it's it's now known as the first uh, SNL sketch really to blow up on YouTube, which had was barely a thing at that point. Um, so you must have been surprised because I don't think anyone was was expecting that. No, I was very surprised, and I I didn't even know that it had happened because it was over Christmas break from the show. Oh right, yeah, it was the last uh, show of the of the year, right? Yeah, with with Jack Black as host, and then yeah, I I found out when I was back home in. Uh, in Memphis or Germantown, a suburb of Memphis, visiting my family for the holidays that, that New York times wanted to interview me about this. <laughs> I was like, Oh wow. Okay. You're like that thing that we just shot in the streets of New York for fun. Yeah. I was like, okay, I guess it's a big deal. Yeah. And then you kept kind of appearing in a lot of their um, other stuff. Uh, the Natalie Portman one was not too long after that. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That was, uh, that was another fun one. Um, Probably not as fun because I got beat, beaten up by Natalie. <laughs> yeah, she um, hits you but, with a chair, I think. But I mean, if you got to get beaten up by somebody, I mean, you know, might as well be Natalie Portman. Um, yeah, just the, the weird thing about that one was we had to record, pre-record all our dialogue in the interview portion, too. Um, and so, and then sort of lip sync to that when we were shooting it. Yeah. But. Oh, yeah, that's tricky. We're sitting here today with film star Natalie Portman. Hello. So, Natalie, what's a day in the life of Natalie Portman like? Do you really want to know? Please, tell us. I don't sleep, mother off that yak and that Durban. Doing 120, getting hit while I'm swerving. Damn, Natalie, you a crazy chick. Yo, shut the up and suck my d- I'm busting dudes' mouths like gushers, mother Roll up on NBC and smack a out, Jack Sucker. What's a 
I'm sorry, Natalie. Are we to believe you condone driving while intoxicated? I never said I was a role model. So as we said, you were there for eight seasons. You know, I think it was not your choice to leave the second time either. How did you feel about it at the time? And and now I think at that time, eight seasons was like the longest anyone stayed at the show. Of course, now there are people like Kenan Thompson who's been there for like 20 years or more. Um, would you have, do you think you would have stayed kind of indefinitely if they had let you or how do, how do you, what, what do you think you would have done? I mean, you know, uh, I, th- I think Kevin Nealon had been on a long time. Daryl Hammond had been on a long time and definitely Tim Meadows had been on a very long time. But um, I, you know, I, basically my attitude was they gave me the opportunity to, to, to leave on, on my own, you know, but I, I couldn't really do it. It was a job and, you know, it was a job I, I quite enjoyed. And by that point it was actually paying pretty well. And, uh, you know, I just didn't feel like, man, yeah, nah, I don't need that. I wasn't, I never felt like that. I was like, I was like, well, look, if they'll have me back, I'll, I'll come back. But they didn't. And, uh, but it was okay. Uh, you know, it was a lot, much, much easier to, to take that time. Cause I had a sense that it might be coming and, um, you know, and I'd gotten to, to go back for five more seasons and do a lot more stuff. So, mm-hmm. and now, you know, you've, you've come back a handful of times to, to guest star, um, you know, do little bits, uh, here and there and, and, um, you know, impressions. And I think it's something, it's a trend that's, that's happened more and more in recent years. And this is actually something that I talked to on a guest and Rachel Dratch about when they were on this podcast together, because they've also, you know, come back various times, um, and I was asking them, and I'm curious to hear what you think about it. Um, you know, when you were there, it wasn't that way where every politician and the debates was played by an old cast member or an Alec Baldwin or somebody. Um, and there's an element of that, which I think kind of takes away from the cast, the existing cast members opportunities. Um, so what did, how, what do you make of that? And do you think, would you have been kind of, uh, would you have bristled at that? Do you think when you were there, so many huge celebrities have been coming in and taking all the good roles? Yeah, I think so. I think absolutely. You know, I mean, because it's you're, you're, every week it's a struggle just to to be on the show. Um, if if you can get material on the show too, great. But just even to be in somebody else's sketch and get on the show is is no there's no guarantee that that's going to happen in any given show. So to have outside folks, you know, who are big celebrities come in and, and compete for those that limited airtime, you know, I mean, it's you know, you're not you can't begrudge them, you know? Um, but it's just like, Jesus, really? We got a, we got a talented cast here. I mean, <laughs> I, I know, you know. Yeah. that's how I always thought. I think, I think it's calmed down a little bit, especially now that they have a cast member playing both, uh, Biden and Trump, yes, um, yes. the same cast member, but <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> and he's yeah. great, but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's funny how it really, I think it was the height of it was probably the, you know, 2016 election and, and all of that. And then obviously kind of started with, um, Tita Fey as, as Sarah Palin and, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see how it affects the cast, and especially because the cast is, I think, also bigger than ever. Yeah, it's it seems huge. Um, but I think you know, I think, I think in the cases like with with Tina doing Sarah Palin, um, it's like, well, who's who? Well, who's she looks like her? Yeah, and she's it was got too, such that a great one was impression. too perfect, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like this, some of them you just have to you just have to do, you know. And so you, you I think, I think for Lauren, it's like you know, his his main focus is on the show and having as many people watch it as possible. And so he has to make those decisions, you know? Yeah. Speaking of Tina Fey was 30 rock and, and Dr. Spachemin kind of your first big thing after SNL. It probably was. I got a, uh, 
I got a guest star part on Friends during the time that I was fired. Oh um, yeah, that must have exciting. that must have been good to yeah. to have that at yeah. that time. I felt I kind of felt like somebody at NBC was was throwing me a bone or watching over me. I don't know which which is rare, um, but uh, but yeah, Thirty Rock was yeah. I mean that was fantastic. What a what an amazing part to get to play. Yeah, I just I absolutely love that character um, and. It, it seems like it was written for you. I don't know if it was. Do you? Do you? I, th- I think it was. I think they wrote it with me in mind, uh, Tina and Robert. Um, yeah, that was that was very much my impression, and they may have even said as much to me. But Tracy, you are going to die. What? No. When I tell you who I'm dating, Squeaky from she is difficult. Anywho, I have the results of your physical. Tracy, you are going to die. What? No! You have no reflexes, your blood tastes like root beer, and some of your bones appear to have vanished. What was that like, uh, you know, playing that character and their, I mean, their dialogue and their scripts are just so, you know, joke dense and so funny. Um, and so, I, I, so I'm sure it must have been just a, a pleasure to, to work on. But what was it like for you to do those scenes uh, and kind of keep popping up throughout the series? Um, you know, it was just a matter of trying to do justice to the to the words, you know, I mean, it's such good writing and, and you just want to like get the tone right. You want to you want to make sure you don't overdo it or underdo it or, you know, it's 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 kind of subtle um, sometimes. And, and, you know, and I honestly I was when the show started, um, I was I was bummed. All, I was bummed that I wasn't a part of it, you know, to begin with um, when it came on the air and. And so when I got to do Dr. Spichemin, um, I was very excited. And then, and then to keep getting to do him was, was fantastic. You know, it was very, very gratifying. And then it's been, it's always nice when you do a character that to which people respond so well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Um, yeah. And you're so funny in it. Uh, the other one that I wanted to ask you about that's sort of around that same time is Anchorman, um, which you got to be a part of and is, you know, another classic. And I think, it must have been, I guess, 30 Rock is so, you know, word perfect, joke, you know, specific. And then Anchorman has a much, had a much more um, imp- improv uh, vibe, right, with Adam McKay's style. And, and so what was that like kind of going on that movie and and being on that set? Well, you know, it felt very comfortable, um, you know, with Will and, and Adam um, and then and then Dave Adam Pecker. was there at, at SNL when you were there as yeah, well, I yeah. assume. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he was head writer. I think after my first season, he was head writer up until whenever Tina Fey took over as head writer. And, uh, but yeah, it was just Those fun. are two and, good head writers to have. Yeah, they <laughs> are. They are. Um, yeah, it was just fun, you know. Um, I, I remember watching Will do a, a scene where he's at the, at the anchor desk. And I, I mean, he was just... Adam was just letting him riff on stories and the stuff he was coming up with. And I, I think it was just, I think it was off the top of his head. Um, it was extraordinary. I mean, it was just, it, it was brilliant and just so insane and hilarious. When I got to do my little poop mouth scene, yeah. thing, <laughs> that was mostly improvised. I mean, it was written that I'd come into the control room and deliver some news or something. But then after I did my scripted line, I realized, oh, Adam's not cutting. So he's, he's yeah, wanting so us just to keep going. Yeah, he's wanting us. He's wanting me to keep going. So I just kept going. That's where poop mouth came from. <laughs> That's great. So funny. And there's 300 very angry San Diegoites 
San Diego Inns. San Diego Inns. San Diegans. San Diegans. San Diegans out in front of the station. They want Ron's blood. They want to hurt you, Ron. Ron, why did you say that? Why? Why, Ron? Why? You're my hero, Ron. Garth, I... You come out with stink like that. Poop. Garth, if I were to give you some money out of my wallet, would that ease the pain? <gasps> I hate you, Ron Burgundy. I hate you. <laughs> so, you know, in these, in more recent years, I think you have, there's been some move towards animation and, and voiceover work uh, that you've done. Um, I was, you know, researching you. I, I, I found out that voice, voice work and, and voiceover has been sort of a big part of your life for, for your entire life. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad when I was very little, was a disc jockey, um, and then sort of went from that into having his own recording studio, and and then eventually having his own recording studio at, at our house. Um, and he made his living at, in the post um, disc jockey years. Um, he was a program director for a couple of years, but then he he would just you know he did commercials, he produced commercials for others, sometimes with his voice, sometimes with other people's. And when he needed the voice of a kid, he would. Um, usually use me or my sister um, as those voices. So, you know, that was my introduction to it. But it wasn't until it wasn't until I got on SNL and sort of had that cachet that I was able to get a voiceover agent um, and and started to go out for stuff there in New York. And uh, yeah, and then eventually, happily, you know, and I, I booked some things, and then eventually Archer and, and, and Rick and Morty came along and lots of other animated shows it is funny how with with few exceptions it seems like you have to be a celebrity in your own right to get good voiceover animation work now as opposed to what it used to be right i mean that yeah talk about people being frustrated with a system i mean i I could imagine that there's a lot of you know voiceover uh animation people who are not thrilled about that either yeah i mean every time i have a little on camera part in uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which yes, is great. Yes. Very happy to be a part of that. But, but you know, it, and the cast is amazing. So, you know, you can't begrudge any of the other actors. But yeah, every time a new animated movie comes out and it's got this celebrity and this celebrity and this celebrity, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, they're legit comedic, comedic actors, you know. It's just like, well, you know, can I, can anybody throw yeah. me a bone here? Hey, I, uh... I could have done that, you know, I'm pretty good yeah. at this. But... <laughs> yeah, you got to be a, above the, above the title name. Um, but meanwhile, you do have these incredible roles in two of the most successful animated shows on TV, uh, Archer and Rick and Morty, um, which both I think have pretty intense fans, uh, and, because you're, you know, on those shows, I would imagine there are a lot of people who recognize your voice and don't necessarily know what you look like. Do you have a lot of strange interactions with people who recognize you only from your voice? You know, it, it, it has happened. Um, our people will see me and they'll think it's me and then they'll hear me talk and then they'll, they'll oh, confirm yeah, that's, it. Yeah, that's him, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, that, that happens sometimes. It's, you know, not much has happened for a while, I think, partly because I haven't been out with many people. And, you know, but I'm hopefully I think I think hopefully Comic-Con is happening in person this year and, and we'll get to, to be a part of that. Yeah. Have there been odd uh, experiences at Comic-Con in the past? Um, You know, people come dressed up as the characters. I mean, that's just part of Comic-Con. And somebody came dressed up as Cyril and he he had made this great um, tinfoil swan 
which <laughs> was a reference, I think, to one of the episodes and, and gave gave that to me. And, uh, but, you know, sweet guy and, and had a good had to, had to had to look down really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're you're in this movie senior year. You're doing all this animation stuff. Um, are there things that you you know haven't done in your career that you really want to do? Are there uh, goals and, and projects that you're that you're looking to do? Well, you know, I I mostly just want to work on stuff that's good, you know, that's well written. And anytime you get to do a character that's sort of out of the normal wheelhouse um, and, you know, get to explore another part of, of yourself or the acting thing, you know, that's that's always rewarding, which is part of why playing Jim Conway in senior year was so rewarding. Um, so, you know, I hope I get to do I, I love doing comedy and I given my druthers, I I do comedy over drama, but I, you know, hopefully I'll have some opportunities to do uh, other dramatic stuff as well. Cause that's also very, yeah. Well, I think anyone who saw senior year will see that you, that you have it in you. And it was exciting to, to see that uh, side of you that I hadn't seen before. Thanks, man. Yeah. It was, it was fun to get to, to do that. And then also to, to watch it and think, Oh, okay. All right. That, that was pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I, felt, I felt pretty good about it. So. Yeah. So now it's time for our segment called the first laugh. So I'm going to ask you a, a series of questions about firsts from your life and career um, as they pertain to comedy. So going all the way back, what's the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid or one of the first, something that, that comes to mind that, that you really connected with? I mean, the first, first thing that comes to mind is, Saturday Night Live, and I think watching um, maybe Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin do the the Wild and Crazy Guys, um, and then also Bill Murray and uh, is is uh, and, and Gilda Radner is Todd and Lisa. Um, so yeah, I'd get to watch Saturday Night Live periodically um, when I'd go up to my grandmother's house, um, and, and my dad would stay up and we'd watch it on her little black and white TV. And I didn't, I could stay up because I didn't have to go to church the next day. We weren't in, in our town. We weren't in Memphis. So we, I didn't, whatever, we didn't have to go to church. So <laughs> I could stay up later. And, and that was my introduction. So yeah, SNL life. was your church. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny? Um, God, I don't. I mean, I, you know, for, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like there's a lot, a, a certain, insecurity that often comes with comedy and you know this wanting to be loved and liked and and uh yeah so I was a class clown for sure in in school and got in got into trouble quite regularly um um at least up like from kindergarten to second grade and then I I straightened out a little bit in third from then on but um we did a I did a play um I guess it was my senior year in high school called Greater Tuna um whereas me and my friend Dan McClary we played like 10 different characters. And so that was a real, you know, it was just the two of us in the play and a lot of the, a lot of quick changes and, and, you know, and, and we got a lot of good laughs, you know, the, the audience responded really well to it. And I, I think that sort of legitimized, okay, well, I, I can, yeah, I'm a comedic actor too, I guess, or whatever. You know. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't know before I looked at your IMDb page that your first movie role was in Jingle All the Way with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So what do you remember from from that experience of being on your first movie set um, on that film? Um, it was very exciting to get to do that, obviously. Um, and I was actually working at F.A.O. Schwarz Toy Store at the time in the Beverly oh, perfect. Center. Yeah, and I played <laughs> it was a method a acting. <laughs> yeah, I played a toy store salesman. And uh, the, the main thing I 
when we were shooting it, I, you know, I, I didn't know any better. We, I, I didn't realize, you know, you often start with a longer shot, an establishing shot, and then you get in tighter. Um, and so I sort of spent a great deal of my laughing energy on the, on the wider shot. And so when it came time for my close-up, you know, I didn't have as much left in me in the tank. Um, and I, I just wish somebody had, you know, <laughs> sort of given me, yeah, <laughs> give me a little tip. Like, this, you know, it's, this is, we're going to get it again here in the, in the closer shot. So yeah. maybe, you know, that's Save something. You, yeah, yeah. That would have that would have been good to know. Well, you learned that lesson going forward. Yes, exactly. It was a good lesson <laughs> to learn. Oh, excuse me. Yes? I'm trying to find a gentleman doll. Me too, me too. Do you have any more in the back? <laughs> what? Is he laughing? What did I say? These, these guys are looking for a uh, turbo man? A gentleman doll, yes. <laughs> They're looking for turbo man. <laughs> hey, everybody. These two are looking for a turbo man. <laughs> So funny. <laughs> Where have you guys been? Turbo Man's only the hottest selling Christmas toy ever. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? We got plenty of Turbo Man's faithful Saberton Tiger Booster. <laughs> so now I just I just sort of phone it in on the wide shots and don't don't do anything at all. <laughs> um, you mentioned some of the first SNL sketches that you got on the air. Um, you know the first ones you were in. Is there a first one that you? wrote or that was really felt like it was your thing your character that you got on that you were really excited about yeah um i think it was probably um terry funk which is not a well-known character but he's this very effeminate southern guy who lives in his parents basement or he does a show from their laundry room i guess is what it is and so it was jeff gordon the race car driver and uh and he he just he clicked right into that role what his role was and uh and uh yeah and it was just really fun and i i wrote it with paula pell and um I, I felt really comfortable doing the character and i you know and i checked with with uh one of the one of the writers on the show was, was openly gay and i said like, this is not offensive is it i mean this is a, i'm modeling this after a very specific person i have in mind from from college and uh and and you know, and every, and everybody's like, no, no, no. It's you know, you're doing a specific guy, and that's you know, you're not just making fun of whatever that you know. Yeah. So you think it it holds up? Yeah, and it, I only got to do. I mean, we tried to do it a lot of other times with different hosts, and made it to dress, but it wasn't until it was one of the times Will Ferrell came back and hosted, and Horatio and I did a sketch. Horatio had this great character whose name I can't remember, but he's so funny, and so it was me as Terry Funk and him as that character. Um, with Will doing a going to the movies sketch, you know. Um, do you have a uh, an audition that stands out in your mind um, that you did over the years that either stands out for being, you know, particularly good or particularly bad in the way that it <laughs> that it went? Um, well, I, you know, I, I'd have to say the SNL audition um, because that went really well, and um, and I, I I felt like it went well, even though there was no laughter. Um, and I, I, I expected that. I mean, there yeah. was some, they warn you that there's not going to be any laughter, right? Yeah. And then, and then Fred Wolf, who was just leaving as head writer, I think came into the dressing room where they put me and told me, I think he said it was the best audition he'd ever seen for the show. And that was very flattering. And yeah, well, if you yeah. didn't get it after that, that would have been odd <laughs> then. Yeah. That would, that would have been rough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that you met a, a lot of comedy heroes, uh, 
on your during your time at SNL? Is there one that stands out as, um, you know, the first time you met somebody uh, that you really looked up to uh, in comedy? Um, well, you know, honestly, I looked up to Will a lot. I mean, I'd known him, but um, Will is, you know, always been a kind of a comedy hero. Um, but getting to meet, you know, like Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, those guys, um, that was, that was pretty exciting. Um, I had this amazing conversation with Bill Murray. Um, I I don't even know if I was still on the show or it was near the end of the time of my show, near the end of my time on the show. And I think it was Seth Meyers had a birthday party at this bar restaurant place. And, uh, Bill showed up and, uh, and ended up sitting down with me at the bar and just proceeding to tell me all how important I was to SNL and, and what I brought to the show. And it was just like, oh my God, I wish, you know, I wish I could have recorded it. Um, but it was like, so, it was so validating to hear this from, you know, such a, a comedy icon and somebody who, for me, I mean, he and Dan Aykroyd really were my guys on SNL in those early years, you know, that was, that was pretty swell. Yeah. That's pretty special to hear that from him. Yeah, it really was. And finally, I like to ask comedians uh, what's making them laugh right now. So what's the last piece of comedy or something that you've seen that really made you laugh hard? Well, I mean, there were, you know, I just I just went to the premiere of Chippendale Rescue Rangers last night and there were some there were some moments in there that made me laugh pretty hard. Um, And then senior year, you know, I mean, not to be all self-promoting, but, you know, (laughs) Rebel, you know, Rebel really made me laugh watching that. Um, I'm trying to think of what my wife and I have not been watching much TV at all of late just because of our, our kids. And by the time they're in bed, we're exhausted. Um, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I think we like, uh, what we do in the shadows. I remember laughing at that quite a bit. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a thousand things I'm forgetting, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, your your projects, uh, senior year and and Chippendale, which I just t- talked to Akiva about a lot, um, are both really funny. So people should definitely check those out. Um, and yeah, it's been really great talking to you and and getting to meet you. And um, yeah, I've just enjoyed your uh, your work uh, on SNL and elsewhere for so long that uh, this was a real pleasure for me. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for for wanting to do it. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you again to Chris Parnell for that really, really great conversation. Senior Year is streaming now on Netflix, and you can also catch him in the Disney Plus movie Chippendale Rescue Rangers, directed by our recent guest, Akiva Schaefer. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hold up. 